Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you I want to continue on our study concerning the Word of God and our relationship to it. And what a great thing it is to have a relationship with the Lord through the Word of God. We've been studying Psalm 119. I hope it encourages you to put the Word of God first in your life and uh, make time for it every day. All the awesome promises he makes in Psalm 119 for having a relationship with God through the Word are just awesome. The promises are make you wonder why you don't spend a lot more time in the Word, honestly. In uh, verse 65, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed in thy commandments. You know, this is, uh, again, he is uh, pointing out grace to us. Lord. I ask you, teach me good judgment and knowledge. You know, the Lord teaches us knowledge. It's a gift from God. It's not something that you can do without His Spirit in studying books and so on and so forth. Uh, a Gnosticism, if you will. Uh, there are, There is a large portion of the Christian religion that are just that way. They think you can go to Bible school and get knowledge. And usually what's passed on is the traditions of men that Jesus railed about in the Gospels. But true knowledge comes from God. It's a gift from God. God can open your understanding to see things that none of your contemporaries have seen and you've never seen. He gives a gift called the word of knowledge like that. It's a gift from God. This gift you have to pray for. The other one you don't have to pray for at all. You can just go to Bible school. They'll give you all kinds of knowledge. But usually that kind of knowledge just puffs your head up and makes you think you're somebody you're not. And, of course, you get this certificate that tells everybody you're a pastor or whatever, you know. But the truth is that real true knowledge can only come by the Holy Spirit. God hid true knowledge in the Bible so that only the Holy Spirit could reveal it. And not only that, he's the only one that can bring it up out of you with an anointing upon it so that it will actually do something for somebody. So, you know, if you really want true knowledge, my prayer when I was a young Christian and still today, my prayer was really strong back then. Lord, I want to know the truth. I want knowledge. I want wisdom. Give me understanding. And I tell you, God will answer that prayer if you really say it from your heart. He will answer that prayer. Um, again, there are the Gnostics out there today, you know, and uh, the people that claim to have, you know, knowledge, and they've been to Bible school, so they've certainly got it, right? But Jesus didn't pick the Bible school graduates. In his day, he picked uh, ignorant people that were just anointed of God, given a gift of knowledge from God. And Jesus himself taught them, and he still does it. And he didn't charge them anything for it. He didn't give them any certificate either. He still does that today. 
You know, you, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, okay. He will take you under his wing. And he will take care of you. Verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I observe thy word. This is amazing. You know, I mean, we would all like to get out of affliction. We'd just like to observe his word, right? How many of you know that the old flesh, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And uh, the flesh gets distracted by the things of the world, you know. But God can get our attention, and he quite often does it with affliction of one form or another. This is not necessarily talking about a sickness here. An affliction of one form or another, he gets our attention. And he makes us to know, of course, that his word is the solution for any affliction out there. He, he's got a way of making us run to the Word. Some of you came to the Word because of some kind of affliction, you know, and that's what he's saying here. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And God makes us very careful when he chastens us. You know, the Bible says he chastens every son that he receives. Would you think some of them have been, would have been good and not had to have any whippings? Well, it don't work that way. Your, your flesh is ornery. It's contrary to God. It's the enemy of God, the Bible says. God knows. Some get chastenings more often than others, just like children do, but but we all get these chastenings. And they make us very careful to go and look at the Word of God more carefully. Prosperity and peace, people generally do go astray. But the Lord can take that away, and He's doing it now. In verse 68, Thou art good. And doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Well, this is a kind of a simple statement, but think about it. There's a lot of Christians that don't necessarily believe this. They'll argue with God about what he does. They don't believe he's sovereign, and they don't believe he works all things together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And they don't think that everything God does is good. Obviously, the word will change your mind about that. You know, we've written a little book called Sovereign God, and people that read that come to realize that God is truly working everything together for your good. Even though you may not like some of the things, especially the chastenings, it is God, he is good, and he's doing good. He didn't say everything was good, but that he's doing good. In other words, he uses everything to do good for his saints. He uses everything for our good, all things together for our good. And he is good. And we should never let this get out of our mind, never be distracted from this fact that everything God does is good, and he is good. Some people argue about that. Some Even some Christians argue about that. But if they would read the word more, they wouldn't. And 69 says, The proud have forged a lie against me. Oh, boy, is that ever common, right? The proud have other motives, don't they? Uh, It's a competition with them. So you're just um, somebody that's in their way, you know, somebody to step on. So they're very quickly known, and they don't mind lying against people. With my whole heart will I keep thy precepts. This is your, your only protection from the proud, the arrogant, the false leaders, so on and so forth. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. 
What does he mean? He means they're totally overcome with flesh, right? They're like the sow that is washed to wallowing in the mire, right? The sow, the, the pig, which is a really good symbol of overindulgent flesh. You see somebody that's overindulging their flesh, they can never be right. You know, you see preachers out there that are just living high off the hog and, you know, making lots and lots of money and got several houses and airplanes and all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, suspect them right off because this is what he's talking about here. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. People that love the word, they're not going to be caught up in a love for this world, are they, and the things of the world, according to the Scriptures. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Here he is again with this. We don't like to hear this. <laughs> it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. Amen. That's just like verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I observe thy word. He's confirming it. So don't don't hold God too harshly because he does this. He knows it's necessary. We don't want this to happen. We would rather just, Lord, just tell me the truth and point me in the right direction. And But sometimes, frankly, we, we're torn. We're torn but that old fleshly nature, you know. And uh, God uh, knows it's going to take some chastening before you will not listen to that anymore. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, frankly, there's an awful lot of people out there that don't even have the beginning of wisdom. It is obvious. They do not fear the Lord. They do not fear his word. And they run headlong into the Lord's chastenings, right? We would love to keep our children from being chastened the same way we were. But somehow they just don't get out of it, do they? We would love to warn them, but they don't take our warnings, do they? Seems like they have to go through it too till they learn to respect the Lord, you know. So we go through it. And it is our crucifixion of this old flesh so that the Lord himself can live, right? Hallelujah. Live in us. And 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Amen. Amen. There is nothing more exciting to me than the Word of God, finding out more about God, learning how to walk in His Word. And uh, money can't buy that. Money don't impress me. Since I found the Word of God, money doesn't impress me. It never has. Since I really found the Word of God when I was a new Christian, money just hadn't been impressive to me. Oh, it's good for things, you know, and good to get by, and good as a means to an end. It's good to serve God's people, but as far as myself, it really doesn't impress me. And I like 73. It says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. We are, folks, the temple made without man's hands. Of course, I'm adding man's in there, but that's what he's talking about. It's God's hands. We, we are his workmanship. We are his temple that he is building, praise be to God. And we need for the Lord to give us understanding and to learn his commandments. It'll save us an awful lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. How many pitfalls would we be guided around if we would just spend more time in his word? 
And 74, they that fear thee shall see me and be glad, because I have hoped in thy word. Amen. This is my desire, too, is that God's the people that fear the Lord would come together, and they will. And um, they also rejoice in finding other people that fear the Lord. And when we hope in his word, his grace is going to be with us. In verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous. Boy, that's something we need to keep in our remembrance, too. If God did it, it's right. It's just right. It reminds me of this verse in 128. It says, Therefore I esteem all of thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. If God said it, it's right. People argue, well, how can that be? Why would you even consider that it couldn't possibly be? You know, why would you consider it? I wouldn't. God does something, it's right. I've said this to so many people, you know, that, um, well, it happened. Does anything happen without the Lord? Can a man receive anything that doesn't come from heaven? No. According to the Word, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Some people are mad. They're angry at their circumstance. But really, they're angry at God because the circumstance comes from him. And so, and God knows it too. He knows they're angry with him. So, you know, if we just go back to the foundation and decide that whatever God does is right, whatever he says is right, and that settles it, it'll get us out of so much trouble. He said, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. Amen. He is working everything together for our good. And he's done this for us. And sometimes we're not very grateful, are we? And then verse 76 is a good grace verse. It says, Let I pray thee thy loving kindness be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant, thy loving kindness, thy mercy. I pray thee that thy mercy be for my comfort. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Notice, if you turn this around, which you can certainly do, if the law is your delight, God's tender mercies will be given to you, and you will live. And verse 78 says, let the proud be put to shame, for they have overthrown me wrongfully. Amen. We always pray that, don't we? Lord, let the wicked be put to shame. When he says overthrown me wrongfully, the word also is with falsehood. The wicked want to overthrow the righteous. They want to make them foolish and make them appear uh, or be shamed or whatever. And they always make war against the righteous, right? But I will meditate on thy precepts. It's like, hey, here's the cure. But I will meditate on thy precepts. While he's saying he's being persecuted, and of course this is the Lord talking, but he, he knows our talk, doesn't he? He knows what we think. Uh, they're being persecuted and overthrown, but I will meditate on thy precepts. Now, for the probably the next 10 or 12 verses is the same kind of a thing he's talking about all the way through here. He always says, but 
I'm going to believe your word, but I love your word, but I'm concentrating on your word, right? It's like this is the cure. I mean, what are we here for is to be the word made flesh. Why are we persecuted to be the word made flesh? How long are we going to be persecuted until we're the word made flesh? You know, we're we're here to learn our lessons and get out of here, right? So let's concentrate. Let's don't get distracted. This is all part of it. If we learn our lessons, then we probably don't need to go through as much as, as some other people do. The quickest way to the end of a trial is to overcome in it so you don't have to do it again, right? Have you ever had a um, strong-willed child? It takes more for them than others. You know, I've had one, and he certainly taught me a lot, but he had to go through more, more, more striving and more trouble and more chastenings. You know, he had to go through more. So I guess what God's saying through these demonstrations to us is make it easy on yourself. Verse 79, let those that fear thee turn unto me, and they shall know thy testimonies. Amen. The people that fear the Lord, they they love the testimonies of God, you know. I'm talking about the written testimonies and the testimonies that come from the written testimonies, you know. They love them. The rest of them, they don't want to hear that. They want to serve their their flesh, right? But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Praise God. Let my heart be perfect in thy statutes that I be not put to shame. Again, here's one of those you can turn it around. Um, the way that we're not going to be put to shame is for our heart to be perfect in his statutes. This all goes back to verse 1 of Psalm 119, you know, about uh, the perfect in the way. If we're perfect in the way, the way is what? God's walking in God's statutes, walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. We don't want to be put to shame, so let's walk in God's statutes. If we don't, he definitely will send shame and trouble our way. And verse 81, and all the way down through here, by the way, you know, from verse 81 on down through 10, 12 verses down, it's all about endurance. Are we going to endure what the Lord decides that we need to go through? You know, James chapter 1 says, in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. We're all, we're constantly going through it, but are we going to endure it? When he hath been approved, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to them that love him. Well, blessed is the man that endureth the temptation. The person that loves the Lord will endure the temptation. Well, everybody else will just fall into it. You have to love God to keep his commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, you'll endure the temptation, being obedient to the Lord. Uh, this is how we prove our love to the Lord. Notice he says, For when he hath been approved, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to them that love him. Who is it that actually is going to receive life? Let's just put aside all the religious talk 
Who is it that actually is going to receive eternal life? Those that love the Lord. Some people say it's those that accept the Lord. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says those that love the Lord. And those that love the Lord, he said over and over, so did Paul, so did Peter. They keep his commandments. So did John. They keep his commandments. You know, some people think the only thing we have to do is believe with a mental assent in in the Jesus of our own liking, you know. But no, we're here to serve God. We're here to keep his commandments. And there's one thing for sure. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And if we walk by faith in him, we will receive power from him to keep his commandments. This is the truth. The accept Jesus gospel has just filled the church up. It's done the same thing that the Church of Rome did. Filled it up with every kind of pagan you can think of. You know, a mixture of all different thoughts and so on and so forth. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to um, serve the Lord, walk in His statutes, keep His word, endure every trial unto the end. And verse 81 in Psalm 119 says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. That's a person that's enduring what they got to go through to see the manifestation of their salvation. He's not just talking about what the church calls salvation. He's talking about the, the, the deliverance, the healing, the blessing, so on, anything that he needs that saves him. My soul fainteth. In other words, he is tired of waiting for God to come and save. But he says, I hope in thy word. In other words, I'm going to endure this. I'm going to trust in the word. Jesus said, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Are you going through a long trial? Be careful that your thinking continues to be right or you'll give up before the end. You know, don't let your, don't get discouraged by your thoughts. Cast down thoughts that tend to discouragement and depression, or you won't endure to see the answer. Many people give up just before the answer comes. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? We've got to endure to the end. And that's going to prove that we really love God. If you endure suffering, um, the Bible says this is okay. You know, Peter said this is all right. If you endure suffering for the Lord's sake, it's okay. And we are. We are enduring suffering for the Lord's sake. We're enduring the suffering of the death of our old self in this world. And this is for the Lord's sake because the Lord wants to live in us. He wants to do his work through us. We, If we will endure this, believing in his word, trusting in his word, he will come and save us. You know, mine eyes fail for thy word, meaning, of course, they fail for his word to come to pass, waiting for his word to come to pass. While I say, when wilt thou comfort me? Yeah, this is a trial. Not everybody endures to the end of this trial. Job was certainly going through a long one, a terrible one. 
But the Lord brought him through it by grace. He gave him more understanding. He gave up his self-righteousness and uh, repented before the Lord, and the Lord blessed him, multiplied him. We we don't have to endure, most often none of us have to endure anything like what Job had to go through, right? And verse 83 says, For I am become like a, a wineskin in the smoke. Wow, you know, I think a wineskin in the smoke would get pretty hard after a while, pretty dried up, pretty inflexible. And uh, yet do I not forget thy statutes. No, this is the whole point. we got to endure by remembering God's statutes, concentrating on his word. When you're going through tough times, don't go look for anything to pacify your flesh. Many people do that. You know, they just want to plop down in front of the TV or go get a drink or, you know, whatever, you know. When you're going through tough times, go get in the Word. It will get you out of them. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? Yeah, I've had that question before. How about you? Everybody has, you know. How long, Lord, are you going to let this unjust situation go on? You know, from our point of view, many times things look very unjust because what right has this person got to judge me? Look at them. Look at their problems, so and so. But you know what? If it's happening, guess who's permitting it? God, who works all things after the counsel of his own will. We've got to look past the person and see God, don't we? And um, we do cry out to God, How long are you going to let this go on? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? You know, he, the Lord said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So he does do that. He will do it. When he's through, like he said in Isaiah chapter 10, when he's through doing his work on you, then he'll punish them that are doing this work on you. But the best thing we can do is cooperate with God through the midst of the trial so that what God is doing on us is very effective. You know, we're learning our lesson, in other words, right? The proud have digged pits for me who are not according to thy law. They lay traps for the righteous, but as we've seen in the Scriptures, they always fall into their own trap. They like to deceive and uh, make gain out of the, the righteous, but folks, they end up in their own trap. Just trust in the Lord. Endure the trial. God's put it on you, then don't gripe about it. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Give thanks unto God. The Bible says, give thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, a really quick way to get grace from God. Everybody that has tried it knows that. Even in the midst of an unrighteous thing, an unrighteous persecution, you know, slow down and give praise unto God and comfort yourself in the Word. Run to the Word to comfort yourself. And the Psalms are, is an excellent place when you're suffering at the hands of other people to comfort yourself and to get promises from God and to be encouraged. And, you know, discouragement causes you to lose out with God and not endure the trial unto the end, right? 
All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. Of course, the Lord will answer your prayers, right? Amen. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Well, what stopped him from consuming him? Because he forsook not thy precepts. It was, it's the answer. Look how many times this is the answer is get into the word, get into the word over and over and over. He's telling us this is the answer. This is the solution. They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Like this is the cure, right? Quicken me after thy loving kindness. Again, quicken means make me alive. After thy loving kindness, so shall I observe the testimony of thy mouth. You know, it's it's God's grace that we observe His testimonies. You know, again, observe is also means keep His testimonies, not just look at. To them, observe meant to look and to keep His testimonies. Right? Make me alive, Lord. Then I'll keep Your word. That's that's grace, isn't it? That's somebody that's trusting in Almighty God. Be their Savior. And verse 89 is one of my favorites. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Because it's so hard to help people understand that God hadn't changed his word, and he's not going to change his mind. Yes, God can change a word, a prophetic word that he gives to you personally, because it can be a a warning. Uh, it can be a promise that you don't endure to the end to receive. It can be a threat. But when God writes something in his Bible, it's like a rock. He's not going to change it. That's why you need to know what is unchangeable. Many things about us are, are changeable, but one thing is true, and it's the Word of God. And when you find out what God will do in your circumstance, it can be a great comfort to you to know that. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. He's not going to change it from one generation to the next, like a lot of very foolish religious people say nowadays. Oh, that passed away, and this passed away. Oh, no, it didn't. According to Hebrews 13 and 20, um, what God gave us is an eternal covenant. Now the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep with the blood of an eternal covenant, even our Lord Jesus. So when he brought from the dead Jesus Christ, he started an eternal covenant. Uh, make you perfect in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Now, that's grace, isn't it? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. We want, we desire earnestly to have something we can depend upon. Much of the church is talking God's people out of depending upon things in the Word. You know, we can depend upon healing because it's an eternal covenant. We can depend upon deliverance because it's an eternal covenant. It's already been provided. God's never going to change his mind. He don't care if men do. He's not going to change his mind. And so 
You know, when we read it in the Word, if your religion doesn't believe it, believe the Word. Because He's never going to change it. It's an eternal covenant. Praise be to God. We can trust in God. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's like the verse I read a few minutes ago, verse 128. Therefore I esteem all of thy precepts concerning all things to be right. None of them have passed away. It's all still true. And he said, I hate every false way. If you believe every word of God is true, then everything else is a false way. I remember my good brother, and I've mentioned this before, uh, from some years ago, who was a um, Baptist teacher, Brother Ray Taylor. And uh, he was a, a teacher in the Baptist church. And he told me one time when he got this revelation, because, of course, they were big on teaching, oh, this passed away and that passed away. And since we don't have it, it had to pass away because we're the best, you know. So it had to have passed away. God's just not offering it if he hadn't given it to us, you know. That's their theory. Well, actually, Ray was considered crazy by his family because of this one revelation. He he told me how he was standing in front of the window in his Baptist, uh, you know, uh, Sunday school, and he was looking out the window, and this revelation hit him. He said, it's all still true. <laughs> it's all still true. And that really, that one rather simple revelation changed his whole life. Of course, everybody in his religion knew he was crazy, you know. But the truth is, he was right. It changed his whole life. It's all still true. Praise be to God. Let's don't depart from it. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Look at Psalm 89 and verse 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Oh, hallelujah. Now you know that when God says it, it's true. And you can depend upon it. It's his rock. My covenant will I not break. He's not going to break it. You can break it, but he's not going to break it. Nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Now, he doesn't have to bring any word to pass if you break the covenant. If you broke it, you broke it, you see. But otherwise, he's not going to alter anything that's gone out of his lips. So we can say with the psalmist in 119, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Word is true, and he's not going to change it. Another one uh, is 138 and 2. Psalm 138 and 2. And it says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and give thanks unto thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God has put his word above his name. Some people say, well, God said this, but he decided not to do that. No. God is submitting his name under his word. He has put his word number one. He isn't going to change his mind. He's put his word number one. His name, a good name. Obviously, the Lord has the very best name. It means his nature, character, and authority. He submitted that to the word of God. 
Some people think God's willy-nilly. You know, he'll do this one time and, well, well, yeah, he promised that, but he doesn't always do it. Well, it's not God. The reason it's not always done. He doesn't break the covenant. Men do. If you're not keeping the covenant, you can't expect him to bring to pass the things that he has spoken. So he's placed his word above his name. That means, so you can totally depend upon it, God is not going to change his mind. His nature is submitted to what he's already said. In fact, it's a manifestation of what he said. He doesn't have to change his mind because it's it's a manifestation of what he said. Now, to from worldly perspective, does God change his mind? Yeah, from a worldly perspective, but not from a heavenly perspective. From a worldly perspective, God makes promises that don't come to pass sometimes. Every promise in this book, he made them, he stands behind them, but if you don't keep his covenant, they don't come to pass. How do you keep his covenant? By walking by faith. If God says something, you believe it, he gives you grace, right? He gives you grace by bringing it to pass. So, if it doesn't come to pass, whose fault is it? It's our fault, always, because he never breaks his covenant. We do. We break it. We can't expect it to come to pass. The Lord stands behind his word. Look in uh, John chapter 12 and verse 48. It says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my sayings hath one that judgeth him. The word that I spake, the same shall judge him at the last day. We need to have a total respect for God's word. Because if we disobey it, that word will judge us in the last day. It will come back to spank us. And in some cases, it will come back to keep us from entering into the kingdom of heaven even. Read it again. It's very plain. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my sayings. First of all, if you're receiving not his sayings or his words, then you're rejecting him. When someone wants to talk to you about the Scriptures and they point out to you the Word of God and you reject it, you are rejecting Him. That's what it says there. Look carefully. Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I spake, the same shall judge him in the last day. Well, we need to tremble at God's Word, don't we? And 49 and 50, For I spake not from myself, But the Father that sent me, he hath given me a commandment that I should say of what I should say and what I should speak. And verse 50, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Now, now his commandment can judge you in the last day or it can exonerate you in the last day. We need grace to be obedient to that commandment so that we only... We only receive the blessing from it, right? And I know that his commandment is life eternal. The things therefore which I speak, even as the Father has said unto me, so I speak. So this commandment, if we obey it, it won't judge us in the last day. If we do obey it, it is eternal life. This commandment is. That's not just accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. 
which is not in the Bible, that's keeping his commandments. Oh, that's salvation by works, David. Well, you're, you're reading it right here, right straight out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. The Lord expects us to be obedient to his word, and we can if we believe, because by grace have you been saved through faith. If you really believe, you get grace. Grace to be obedient. He works in us to willing to do of his good pleasure, right? That other gospel is the greasy grace gospel, and it won't get you anywhere with the Lord. God expects us to obey him. He expects us to respect his word. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all of his good promise which he promised by Moses his servant. There's not failed one word of all of his promise, right? The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments. See, this is a gift from God, right? That he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. Look, there has not failed of all of his good promise. Not one word of of all of his good promise, which he promised by Moses. You know, our faith in those promises is what causes God to incline our hearts unto him, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments. Amen? I'm going to go back to uh, Psalm 119 again here and, and take up again in verse 90. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Some people think the Lord has just passed us by, you know. No, he's with all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Yeah, everything, everything serves the Lord. All things serve him, serve his purpose. Uh, in creating sons in the earth. Matter of fact, this next verse kind of, it says, they abide this day according to thine ordinances. For all things are thy servants. Everything serves the Lord. Proverbs 16 and verse 4. God hath created everything his own purpose, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Everything serves the Lord. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Nothing can restrain him. Everything is a part of his creation in order to create sons of God. This is the whole purpose of planet Earth, 
is to create sons of God. And everything, the heavens themselves, everything was created in order to make a uh, a trial here on this earth to see who it would be that would uh, serve God, would have faith in His promises, and uh, would receive His grace to be manifested sons of God. That's what we're here for. Praise be to God. And He said, All things are Thy servants. And he, this is this is a really, uh, I think, an answer to a lot of what we've read in the last ten verses or so. He said, unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Wow. How many people may perish in their affliction? How many fail in their wilderness? How many murmurs fall in their wilderness and don't see the promise of God? He said, unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. How valuable are we seeing that a love for the Word of God is here? Any kind of affliction we could fail in, we could miss God in, but if His promise, if His Word is our delight, we're not going to perish in our affliction. We're not going to fall in the wilderness. You know, we're not going to fail. Look at uh, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I hear people say all the time, well, yeah, they'll get the healing on the other side, you know, or, (laughs) oh, yeah, they're, you know, like, They don't believe that they can have God's blessings here. They don't believe God's provided for us here on this side. Everything is, oh, when we get over there, you know, no hope for God to answer here and now because they really haven't delighted in the word of the Lord to find out that God is a provider of all things, you know, here and now. And some people give up in their uh, quest for an answer from God, a provision from God, they faint along the way. Uh, He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We ever going to see the goodness of the Lord here? Some of you are going through some things, some long-term trials, very hard on you, very crucifying don't faint along the way. you got to believe that God's got an answer for you here in this place. He's got an answer for you. He has provided all things. My God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory, he says. That's not just a, a prosperity verse, but prosperity is being able to do whatever God wants you to do and being out from under the curse and being under God's blessing and having his provisions, right? Hallelujah. Another one, uh, 44, uh, 17 and 18, chapter 44, says, All this has come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee. Neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Well, folks, I'm, there, there are many things coming upon the church in the days ahead. 
to get God's people's attention. And um, if you don't forget the Lord in the midst of it, and don't deal falsely because you think that this is a quick way out of it, uh, you don't cut corners, be disobedient to his principles, because there's something that you think would give you a short-term benefit, then God will be with you in it. He said, our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. This is it. This is why we're going through all these hard things, folks, is to prove, are we going to seek another way out, or are we going to continue to be steadfastly trusting in the word, right? And verse 19, that thou hast sore broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or spread forth our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as the sheep for a slaughter. And there's a spiritual revelation here too, you know, that um, that's what we're here for, is to have that old flesh slain. Right, the 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 flesh of the beast that is a sacrificial offering unto God. It has we're here for it to be slain, aren't we? We're here to be crucified. Back in uh, verse ninety three of Psalm one nineteen says, "I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me." Remind you of. Romans 12 and 2, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's Word gives us the mind of Christ. And uh, we can endure anything with the mind of Christ. We can go through any trial. We will have God's provision. We will, of course, have our crucifixion, you know. He even enables us to go through our crucifixions and lose our life in this world. He gives us the grace to do this. But we can't forget his precepts. Again, Psalm 119 is totally about being observant to the Word of God, right? It is our way out. It is our blessing. It is our provision. For with his Word... He quickens us. He makes us alive. People, we all want more of the life of Christ. Well, God's got a way, and it is for us to observe his word faithfully. He says, I am thine. Save me, for I have sought thy precepts. Again, here's one you can turn around. If you have sought his precepts, He will save you. Look at it very carefully. You'll see that I'm correct about this. I am thine. Save me. For, in other words, because I have sought thy precepts. I hope that this is, um, you know, putting a desire in you to spend time in the Word every day. It will cause you to outgrow everybody around you if you do. 
It will cause you to mature quickly. It will enable you to come out of trials quickly. It will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, as the next verse says. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. It will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked. Like um, 165, let me read that to you. Great peace have they that love thy law, and they have no occasion of stumbling. Now, the wicked are there to try to make us stumble, to cause us to fail, to conquer us for the kingdom of the devil, right? But they wait for us, they lay traps for us, They slander us, they speak against us, but we will consider God's testimonies. And 96, it says, I have seen the end of all perfection. Hey, that's neat. What do you think he's talking about? I wonder if he's not talking about the Lord Jesus. I have seen the end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceedingly broad. You know, we, <clears throat> one of my favorite verses, Second Corinthians 3 and 18, we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. We, we can see the end of all perfection. It's the Lord Jesus who's been given to us to manifest his life in us, to bring deliverance to us. But thy commandment is exceedingly broad. You know, it's um, it's not like we can read the word one time and get all we need to get out of it. I know Brother Mike is not too far from me here, and he said one time, he told his mom, <clears throat> about reading the word, she says, "I read it already." <laughs> like it's all okay. I read it one time. Okay, <laughs> you know, it ain't gonna. It's not gonna happen that way, folks. We need enough love for who God is, and that we want to know Him. That we will constantly make it a part of our life every day to um, ask Him to get you into good habits of uh, studying his word every day. You know, you behold the Lord Jesus in the mirror, but you need to find out what exactly he looks like, and his word is very broad. You know, it, uh, it's not like you can learn who he is and know what's been given to you as a gift overnight. You have to study the word so that you know, you know who Christ is. He is the word made flesh. And the more you become familiar with him, the more you are familiar with the gift that God has given unto you. He made reconciliation for us. And that means that he made an exchange. He gave you Christ's life, and he took away your life, and he nailed it on that cross. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Well, good night, saints. We've uh, come to the end of another study here. The Lord bless you and keep you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. 
good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask and I pray that today that we receive the word of God into our hearts so that it can give root to the seed so we can bear the fruit that you want us to bear, Lord. And Lord, we love you and love to read your word. We want to know, Lord, what it is to be righteous, what it is to be truly born again in spirit, soul, and of course, ultimately body. And Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. Because I want to be able to look in the mirror and see nothing but Jesus. And that's how he wants us to do it, is by faith. And we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name for this wonderful word today. And let it be a blessing to everyone out there. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I want to talk about receiving the end of your faith. So let's start out by looking at uh, what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat, well, that word begat, be born again or born from on high, us again unto a living hope. We were born again into a living hope. And when we were first born again, it was our spirit that was born again. The soul is born again in a different uh, different way, as we're going to see later on. First Peter 1 and 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was a living hope because when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. But that's by faith. And as we exercise faith in that promise, we receive the manifestation if we continue on in the faith. First Peter 1 and 5, who by the power of God are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you're guarded through your faith until you come to the salvation. You have to continue in the faith. And that person who doesn't continue in the faith, he ain't going to get what they believe in for because Jesus said in Mark eleven forty four, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have it. And then in Matthew 10 and 22, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So if you don't endure to the end, you ain't going to be saved. You have to endure in your faith to the end, knowing that during this process, your faith is going to be tested. First Peter 1 and 6 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been put to grief in manifold trials. Now, the Greek there means various temptations. You're going to be tempted, folks. Your faith is going to be tested, and you have to hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not, it says in Hebrews 10.23. And if you do that, you'll come over to verse 9, which says, 1 Peter 1 and 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So the beginning of your faith is that born-again experience in verse 3, where you receive a born-again spirit. The end of your faith is the born-again soul. Now, obviously, 
obviously what's been put up into your spirit has to move over into your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotion. That's where you bear the fruit, folks. You're not the good seed put into the ground until you have that initial born-again experience of a born-again spirit. Then you're the good seed, and then you have to bear fruit. Because when the harvest comes, he's going to pick nothing but the good fruit, right? Some people don't endure to the end in order to bear fruit in their soul. And, and, and this is why the falling away happens. The falling away happens because most people don't think they have to bear fruit, which is the salvation of your souls, glory to God. And with that in mind, let's go on. Let's keep on. First Peter one twenty one, who through him are believers in God that raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your soul in your obedience to the truth. Well, who was Peter speaking to there? Well, if we back up to the beginning of the letter, we find out he was speaking only to true believers. First Peter 1 and 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion. He wasn't speaking to those who were just a call, but he's speaking to the chosen, the elect, because the elect are the ones who's always going to bear fruit. Matthew 22 and 14 says, but many are called, but few chosen. And that word chosen in the Greek is eklektos. It means select by implication or favorite. So you might be called and you may have had a born again spirit, but will you have a born again soul? Will you go on to bear fruit in your mind, your will, and your emotions? And this is how you make your calling and election sure, folks. Second Peter 1 and 10, seeing ye have purified your souls. That means you have to see the end from the beginning, don't you? You got to walk by faith. You have to believe it was done back at the cross. And this is what you see in your spirit. You see it as done, as already finished, okay? Hebrews 10 and 14, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then First Peter one twenty two, seeing ye have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. If you don't want to fall away, you got to be obeying the truth, don't you? And because if you obey the truth, you have to search it out. You have to search for that wisdom just like gold, as it says in Job 28 and Proverbs 3. Unto unfeigned love. Folks, the most important thing is love. A lot of people prove that they don't have love. And, of course, they're in danger of falling away. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently having been begotten again, meaning born again from above. And when you're first born again, folks, you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, but you, you don't have to. All you have to do is repent and then want the Lord to take over your life. And that word repent, which means change your mind and believe the first message you have of the gospel. That's all you got to do. But after that, as you search for the truth and obey the truth, you're going to have fruit in your soul. 
In other words, you'll be renewing your mind with the mind of Christ. And that's going to enable you to bear fruit by your faith in what you understand. God's going to give you power when you believe what you read, folks. There's some of you listening right now that go to churches. And I know you ain't getting enough word to overcome anything that you've already been indoctrinated with. You need to get this on your own by searching out the truth, glory to God. God's people will love the truth. All of the elect will love the truth, and they'll love him enough to obey it. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Love one another from the heart fervently, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides. Folks, that incorruptible seed is the word of God. And again, when you first come to the Lord, do you know the word of God? No. But this is the, the second part of being born again. That is born again in soul, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Where? Through the word of God. So you do have to seek the truth and you do have to obey what you read as the truth. You can obey the truth because you believe that you were yet were united with him in the death, burial, and resurrection and that your sins were already taken away. Romans chapter 6 and verse 5 said, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin. For he that hath died is justified from sin. You can obey the truth because you believe the gospel that you were made free from sin. Romans 6.22 But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification and the end eternal life. And folks, as you exercise faith in that, sin won't have power over you because you believe it's already been conquered, right? John sixteen thirty three. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. First Peter one twenty four says, "For all flesh is as grass." Well, now we go through this crucifixion of the old flesh, and when you receive the word of God, you're obeying your spirit. That means you're not obeying your flesh, and it dies a little more. Each time you do that, you're weaning it, so to speak. The flesh is used to getting this way, but you're weaning it from you. First Peter one twenty four again, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower faileth, falleth, but the word of the Lord abides forever. This word, which you put in your heart, that is eternal life. It says the word of the Lord abides forever. It is eternal. The grass or flesh is temporary. But this, folks, is eternal. We become the word made flesh. And what is that? That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 127. First Peter 125 says, But the word of the Lord abides forever. 
And this is the word of good tidings which was preached unto you. This is the gospel. Not that other apostate teaching that says just go ahead and accept Jesus. He ain't going to accept you unless you repent and believe. And that's a continual process. It's not a step over the line one time thing that religion would have you believe. This purifying of your soul comes from obeying the truth. And that's what James was talking about in chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted, that means inborn, innate, or rooted, word, which is able to save your soul. Well, how's that? That's through your obedience to the truth, just like we just read. Verse 22 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. But many are deceived. Multitudes of what are called Christians are deceived. They don't think they have to walk in the truth. They think they can walk in the flesh, even though what Paul said real clear like in Romans 8 and 13, if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Folks, there's a condition there. It's a big if. James chapter 1 verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. Now, beholding the natural face is contrary to what we're commanded to do. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, it's David's favorite verse. Y'all know it all. But we all, with unveiled faith, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord in the spirit. In other words, it's a gift from the spirit as you continue to behold. That's the gospel, folks. You don't live anymore. Jesus lives in you. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Paul said. And when you're looking in the mirror, you see Jesus because you accept it by faith. It's an imagination that you have to hold on to so that you can come into his image more and more from glory to glory. You see Jesus in the mirror by faith because it's already done, right? John chapter 3 and verse 13. And no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. When you see your natural self in the mirror, or in other words, when you see your old stinking self, you're not exercising any faith there. You're not calling the things that are not as though they were. There ain't no faith involved there. So how can you grow? How can you be anything more than what you see yourself as? James 1.23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. When people begin to look at self too much, they begin to fall into denial. That's the only way that can get any peace. When you read the word, it tells you what God wants. And if you look in the mirror and say, I don't want to look like that, you're not exercising the power of faith. 
and you'll not overcome. You'll always be a hearer and not a doer. James 1 verse 25 says, But he that looks into the perfect law, that's the law of liberty, and so continues, and that's what we've been talking about here, being not a hearer that forgets, but a doer that works, this man shall be blessed in his doing. Now, 1 John 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is begotten or born of God does no sin. When you have a renewed soul and a born again soul that's in the image of Jesus because you held fast to the word your spirit received from God through the word, then you're going to be an overcomer. Think about how many things that you've overcome since you came to know the Lord. Things you don't even consider doing anymore. And if the devil tried to tempt you with it, you just laugh at him. God wants us to continue that all the way to the end. God wants to continue it until you have at least a 30, then a 60, and finally a hundredfold fruit. And we know that in the parable of the sower, the seed you put in is the seed of Jesus Christ, the word of God. And you have to put the word in there and you have to obey it. There's a born-again man that's growing in you. He's taking ground. He's taking that promised land away from him, old Canaanite, that old sinner in the land. And he's putting to death that old sinner and taking his house and living in his house. That's what the spiritual man is doing. And if you're hearing and obeying the word of God, you're conquering this land. And the problem was that when the Israelites were going into their land, they forgot faith. They forgot what God said. Joshua and Caleb didn't forget. They kept reminding them, but they wouldn't listen. So the Israelites died in their wilderness, and that should be a warning to every one of us. We're going to be tested, folks. First John 3 and 9 says, Whosoever is begotten of God doeth no sin, because his seed abides in him. And what's the seed? That's the word of God. But know that after you receive the initial born-again spirit, that you're going to be tested. Your faith will be tested. And if you give up the seed and you accept what the devil says, guess what you're accepting? You're accepting that devil's seed. And what's that end up being there in the word? It ends up being a tear. And you don't want to give up the seed of God because it has the power to bring eternal life manifestly in your life. First John chapter three and verse nine said, whosoever is begotten of God does no sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's begotten of God. The part of you that's born of God is not going to sin because it's God in you. That's where you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that part of you ain't going to, uh, is not going to sin at all. But there, are other parts of your promised land that you hadn't conquered yet. You haven't killed the old man. You haven't taken his house. You haven't raised your crops on his property and on and on. you got to march through the whole promised land because God said that every place you put the sole of your foot, he's going to let you have it. And you already know the parts that you are born again because you're not tempted in those areas anymore. God changed you. And that wasn't an accident. You had faith. 1 John 3 and 10. In this, the children of God are manifest. Now, we're talking about manifestation here, and that's what we're here for, to manifest Christ. And the children of the devil, whosoever does not 
Righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. They're not a God. They're not doing what the word tells us to do if we sin. First John 1 and 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you sin, you can confess it and forsake it, and he's going to wash you clean. He will wash you of all unrighteousness, and that's part of your tool, the tools that he's given us along the way to stay clean before God. And if you're not going to confess your sin and you choose to justify yourself instead, then you won't be able to hold fast to your faith. And then you're going to fall away. It's a choice that we have. You can just hide your sin around the people of God and make yourself accept, acceptable to them as a deceiver, or you can confess your sin and God will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So let's believe and confess and forsake this worldly way. Choose to accept that you've purified your soul in obedience to the truth. Choose to continue to obey the truth so that you can go on to take that promised land and bear fruit in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Choose to allow the fiery trial to burn up that old grass, which is the flesh. First Peter 2 and 1, putting away therefore all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisies. And those who preach are always going to be a sinner, saved by grace, are liars. They are anti-Christ and never even gotten a revelation of the gospel. And if you're always going to be a sinner saved by grace, then you didn't get saved by grace. Think about it. If you're always going to be a sinner, you didn't get saved by grace. Grace comes through faith, your faith in the word of God to save you from sin. God doesn't save you so you can go ahead and keep on sinning and get away with it. He came to save us from sin because we confess it and we forsake it and we want God. These people will be known because God is more important to them than sin is. And that's the trial. The church is full of hypocrisies and guile and deception by the people. Jude one twelve says, Who are hidden rocks in your love feast when they feast with you? Shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Clouds without water. Carried along by winds. Autumn leaves without fruit. Twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. Yeah, they're going to be shown to be twice dead and plucked up by the roots. They're full of guile and are hidden. They're deceivers who want you to believe they're somebody that they're not. And instead of confessing their sins to someone who is faithful, or at least confessing them to the Lord, they'd rather deceive themselves and delude even themselves. There's so much judgment coming out of these people, even though we're not permitted to judge until we're complete, until we're delivered from sin. First Peter 2, 2 and verse 1, putting away therefore all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes long for the spiritual milk which is without guile, that you may grow thereby unto salvation. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Well, in John 4, 34, he said, 
Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. That's true for all of us. Our meat is to do the will of him that sends us. Our meat is to be a doer of the word. How are we going to grow up only on milk? When Jesus was teaching the multitudes, he protested to them in Luke 6 and 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Folks, we're growing into the manifestation of our salvation. Listen, the manifestation is what you're looking for when you go out into the field and pick the fruit. And you might believe that the seed is going to bring forth wonderful fruit, but you're not going to go out there to pick it until it's above the ground and you can see it. That's what we're here for. The earth is the field and we're here to bear fruit. But some people say you don't bear fruit until you go to heaven. Well, they ain't going to heaven because the fruit comes out of the earth. Fruit is attached to the earth before you pick it. Salvation is something that is in Jesus Christ, says in Acts 4 and 12. If you abide in him, you have it, John 15, 5. If you don't abide in him, you don't have it. It's not something magical that happened to you when you first accepted Jesus. The test comes after to find out if you're just called or whether you're called and chosen, Matthew 22 and 14. 1 Peter 2 and 3 says, If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 4, unto whom coming a living stone rejected indeed of men. If you don't want to be rejected of men, you're going to have, you're going to do whatever it takes to make them happy. But folks, it's more important to make God happy because he has eternal life for you. But with God elect precious, you also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. When a priest offered sacrifice, what did they offer? They offered flesh. They offered burnt flesh, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you're in the fiery trial, you're making a decision. Do you want more of Jesus or do you want more of the flesh? If you obey the flesh, you get more of the flesh. If you obey Jesus, the flesh is crucified because it don't get what it wants. It's on the altar of fire and it's burnt up. And that's how you get more of Jesus and bear more fruit. In the trial, which he said you're going to go through, you decide to obey the word, even though you can feel that old flesh drawing on you and the devil beyond that. He's got his rope around the old flesh pulling against you. And you can feel it every time you're tested or tempted to do something other than obey the word of God. The word puts you on your cross. And if you don't obey, you're not on the cross. And if you don't take up the cross and follow Jesus, you're not his disciple. And that means a learner and a follower. First Peter 2 and 6 says, because it is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he that believes on him shall not be put to shame. Well, how can you prove that you believe on him? Well, the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse 26, Even so, faith apart from works is dead. Folks, if you believe, if you have faith, you're going to act on your faith. But there's going to be a lot of people out there that's going to be put to shame. 7, verse 7. 
For you therefore that believe is preciousness before such as disbelieve. And it's going to be proven in the, in the middle of the trial whether or not you believe. The stone which the builders rejected. And you might say, I never rejected Jesus. But if you don't obey, obey him in the midst of the trial, then you're not believing on him. You've rejected the stone which the builders rejected. Just like those early people did and you're ashamed right there. You're rejected. First Peter 2, 7 says, But to you therefore that believe is the preciousness before such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same was made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. It's, folks, it's always the disobedient who stumble and fall away. They're disobedient because they're not believing what the Word of God says. They've made up a convenient doctrine so that they can live in the flesh and still go to heaven. Even people who know better, they can fall into that trap when they stumble on the rock of offense, when they stumble over the Word of God. The Word comes to prove, to test you. The word comes to empower you with faith and deliver you like a two-edged sword. It's going to cut away that which is fleshly and demonic. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. First Peter 2 and 9, But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, and a holy notion. Paul's trying to convince them after he just finished giving them the condition here. A people for God's own possession that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're called out of darkness to come into the light of the word, the wisdom of God. And that darkness is the darkness of your unregenerated soul that's not born unto God. You see parts of your soul are born unto God because you're obedient to God there. You're not even tempted anymore in those areas. But there are parts of your soul where you're not obedient to God. Those places are where your promised land hasn't been taken away from the carnal man of the land, the Canaanite. He has to be put to death in order for you to take that land 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the grace of God gives us the opportunity to do that. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God. How you become the people of God? Well, when you're born again, it's God himself who lives in you. And the part of you that obeys God is his kingdom. That's where he rules. But the part of you that doesn't obey him, that's not his kingdom because he don't rule there. And the more you obey the more and more of you comes into the kingdom of God. First Peter 2.10, who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God, folks, is so good. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty blessings upon us. First Peter 4 and 1 says, for as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, well, if you're being crucified, an old man's being put to death is painful. 
It's painful to give up the things that you have to give up in order to have Christ. But what, as the Bible says, Second Corinthians 4 and 16, Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. If you don't let your outer man decay, the inner man is not renewed because they both occupy the same territory. Somebody got to be losing the territory and somebody's got to be taking the territory. If you're not putting to death the old man in the land, you're not taking the territory. Remember what the Israelites were told. Take up your swords and go take your promised land and that God would be with them. Every place they put the sole of their foot, God's going to give it to them. They were to take out the enemy everywhere they went. And God said, don't appease them, kill them. And that's a typing of shadow, how your old man, your old life has to die. It cannot be reformed. First Peter 4 and 1 says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. You see, it's a good thing to suffer in the flesh, isn't it? When you deny yourself, when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you are going to suffer in the flesh. A cross is a cross. Your cross is obedience. Jesus obediently went to his cross and he even said that it was for this reason he came into the world. But the disciples, all of them tried to talk him out of going to his cross. Well, we can see the parable there now. And of course, there's a lot of people out there who try to talk you out of going to your cross. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And we ought to say the same thing. Glory to God. First Peter 4 and 1 says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So what you do is you consider suffering in the flesh to be ceasing from sin. And if you don't cease from sin, that means sin is going to rule you. And if sin rules you, you're going to fall away. Verse 2, that you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh. Where is that? In heaven? No, on earth, because there's no flesh in heaven, right? To the lusts of men, but to the will of God. If you're questioning, is that really possible? Do you mean all these preachers lied to me about how I just have to accept my forgiveness and go on sinning? You need to read that verse again, folks. That you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh, to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And how do you do that? You do that by suffering in the flesh. Glory to God. And you have to say no to your flesh. And you can do that since the cross because your old flesh was crucified there, right? Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Colossians 1 and 13. You don't have to serve your flesh anymore. But if you believe you have to serve it, then you do. What did Jesus tell those two blind men as he was healing them? Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done unto you, Matthew nine forty nine. What happened when the centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant? 
And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. In Matthew eight thirteen, And the servant was healed in that hour. And if you believe you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life, you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life. But you ain't going to heaven because you're not going to bear any fruit that way. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe. Romans 1 and 16. 1 Peter 4 and 3. For the time past may suffice to have wrought the desire of the Gentile. In other words, he's saying, yeah, you got away with it for a while. And to have walked in lasciviousness, lust, wine-bibbings, revelings, carousings, carousings, I mean, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them into the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. And they think it strange that you don't run with them into the same excesses. Well, if you humble yourself to them, and if you're really interested in impressing them, of course, you're going to get into the same thing they're into, and you're going to take, you're going to lose your salvation if you do it. And some people teach that you won't lose your salvation. But we're seeing how ridiculous that is. The elect are not going to lose their salvation, but many of the called will. The elect are the chosen because they bear fruit. And those people running in the excess of riot don't understand that they will eventually have to answer to God. First Peter 4 and 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the living and the dead? The Lord's going to judge the living and the dead. And if you continue on in your righteous living, doing everything the way you want to do it, and not putting to death the sin, you're going to fall away. You can't go to heaven because you'd ruin it. Folks, and that's just the truth, as the old boy said. First Peter four seventeen. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Yeah, God uses the wicked to judge the house of God, and then God judges the wicked. That's his method, because somebody has to put you on the cross, right? The apostate people of God and the Romans, these put Jesus on the cross. And you need to walk in the judgment of God. That old flesh has to die. And you need to suffer the loss of self, because self can't go to heaven. Self, which is synonymous with soul in the scripture, ain't going to heaven. It has to die here. Every seed that goes into the ground is put to death by the dirt around that seed. But then what happens? Life comes out, starts bearing fruit. There has to be a death before a life. So this judgment begins at the house of God because you have to have time to bear fruit before your time is up. That's why it's called a race. Therefore, let us also, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 and 1 through 2. You're racing against the clock to bear fruit before your time is up here on earth. 
First Peter 4, 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begin first in us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, that means only with difficulty and very rarely. Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? If you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life, it don't look good there, does it? How about the righteous? Well, the righteous have done a whole lot better. There's not as many of them because they're scarcely saved, it says. But there's a lot of sinners. And you're either in one camp or the other. First Peter 4:19. Wherefore, let them also that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful creator. God's trying to create your soul into the image of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, we just discovered that it happens through your obedience to the truth. And the reason you can obey the truth is because you got faith. You have faith and you're going to have obedience because of James 2 and 17. It says, faith, if it hath not works, is dead in itself. Yea, a man will say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works and I by my works will show thee my faith. And Second Peter one and one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us in the righteousness of our God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How sad that so many people don't have time to search the scriptures, don't make time to get the New Testament down in their heart. There are too many other things that distract them. But call to mind how the seed was destroyed in the parable of the sower. The distractions of life is why those who heard did not continue on and bear fruit. Second Peter 1 and 2 says, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, Seeing, that means seeing by faith, that his divine power hath granted, that's past tense, meaning it's already been done. He's already given you this. Unto us all things that pertain unto life. That word means life, both of physical and of spiritual. Strong goes on to say this, it always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people creating each in his image which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. That's God's life. It's not your old soulish life, which is suke. Zoe is the higher life that you get when you give up the suke, the lower life, the self-life. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he did that at the cross. You can have grace, and you can have peace multiplied to you when you believe that. And when you apply it in your life, Second Peter 1 and 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. Folks, you have to know what God has given to you, and then you have to exercise faith in it. You got to have faith in God, and God will rise up in you to do the work. And thank God it's by faith and not by our own self-effort, glory to God. 
2 Peter 1 and 4, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. If you're going to live a godly life, you need this divine nature and the promises of what give you that divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Folks, you have to escape the corruption that is in the world by lust or you're going to have it fallen away. Because God don't want this in heaven. That Greek word, which is translated as lust, means simply desire, eagerness for, inordinate desire. The lusts are those desires of the flesh. And the Bible says in Romans 8 and 13, for if you live after the flesh, you must die. That's falling away right there. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, those are the acts of the flesh, you shall live. So you need to put the promises into our hearts in order to partake of the divine nature so that the corruption doesn't overcome us. Otherwise, you're going to fall away. And God instructed Moses in Exodus 16 and 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. And Jesus told us that he was that manna that came down of heaven, wasn't he? For you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion for every day that I may prove them. So God was testing them to see if they would be obedient to him and get their daily portion of manna. Whether they will walk in my law or not. People like to belittle the necessity of spending time in the Word every day, but that's exactly what God expects you to do. He expects you to be obedient and to eat the Word daily, just like they gathered and ate the manna in the wilderness daily. You're being proven. Your obedience is being tested. And you can go to a party. You can even go party with a lot of Christians. You can go live after all the lusts of the flesh, but that ain't why you're here. You're here to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Christ. Second Peter 1 and 5. Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith. Well, you're diligent in your faith because you can't add anything to it, can you? You can't be diligent in any of the attributes that he's getting ready to mention here. You have to use the faith that God's given you. And if you haven't been given faith, you ain't saved. Because inside faith are all these other attributes, which are all given to you because of your faith. A lot of the other, uh, there's some of the Bible translations that has adding to, adding to, adding to, but that ain't correct. According to the original language and the numeric pattern. Second Peter 1 and 5, yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, comma, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. A lot of people out there don't believe in self-control. They think that they can't be controlled, and if you don't feed your spiritual man, that's true, because he's not going to be able to control you. And in your self-control, patience. He wants patience to have his perfect work, don't he? James 1 and 4, and let patience have his perfect work that you may be perfect and entire lacking in nothing. Second Peter 1 and 5 again, yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue, and in your virtue knowledge, and in your knowledge 
self-control and in your self-control patience and in your patience godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love. God wants love from his people. Love for one another. And if you ain't got that, you're not going to make it to heaven. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful. Of course not, because this is the fruit, the fruit of God. Unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, knowledge begets knowledge. It started out with knowledge. If you exercise faith in the promises of God, you receive of his divine nature. And so because you believe that you were crucified with Christ, because you believe that your old man was put to death when you were buried in baptism as an act of faith, then the old man is dead, and the one who came up from the water is Jesus, not you. Praise God. John 12 and 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides by itself alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. If the seed is the word of Jesus, what's the fruit? It's the fruit of Jesus. It's not gaining soul, it's gaining your own soul. And if you gain your own soul, you'll be able to be useful in gaining other souls. But you can't give away what you don't have, right? First Peter 1 and 8 says, For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind. He's blind because he doesn't see correctly. He sees only his natural face in the mirror. He doesn't look in there and see Jesus. He doesn't behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord, like it says in Second Corinthians 3 and 18. First Peter 1 and 8 says, For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind, seeing only what is near. And that's just his own ugly old face, right? Having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Have you forgotten that you were cleansed of your sins? Just like Jesus bore your sicknesses, you have to believe your sins were borne by Jesus also. First Peter 2.24 and Isaiah 53 and 5. You don't have a problem with sin. You have a problem with unbelief. The problem of sin has been dealt with, so your problem now is unbelief. But if we want the grace of God, we have to walk by faith. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, Before, By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. This recreation of your soul into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory is happening as you walk by faith. I hope you didn't forget that your sins were taken away. Why are you lending your body to sin? You're going to die. You're going to fall away. Three out of four do, according to the parables of the sower. Don't forget you were cleansed from your old sins. Does that mean that you could continue to walk in them? No, because when you walk by faith, you're cleansed of them. You're not going to give yourself over to them since God is going to give you grace. By grace have you been saved through faith. First Peter 1 and 10 says, Wherefore, brother, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. The word calling means invitation. In the New Testament, 
always of a divine call. And that word for election means a choosing out, selecting, a choice by God. So since you were born again in your spirit, you now have a divine invitation from God who saved us and called us. But you have to notice that you also have to make certain you'll be among those whom God chooses because that calling means an invitation to partake of everything that Christ is. And what happened in the parable of the banker when the king's servant went out and called people to the marriage feast? Matthew 22 and 11. But when the king came in to behold the guests, he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few chosen. The wedding garments, folks, is your works of righteousness. Revelation 19 and 8. Romans 13 and 14 said, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Jesus, folks. Put on your wedding garment to make your calling and election sure. First Peter 1 and 10 again. Wherefore, brethren, give the more dinners to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. In which you can say it another way. You ain't never going to fall away. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance. And you might be thinking, whoa, I thought I entered way back there when I was baptized. Well. As you do these things, you are progressively entering into the eternal kingdom because you're progressively taking more of your promised land, which is where God rules. That's how you enter into the kingdom, folks. First Peter 1 and 11, For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The preachers out there have lied to us about this. As many of them think that they had, they entered the eternal kingdom when they shook the preacher's hand who told them that's all you need to do. Now just go sit down over there and put money in the box when it comes by and get ready for the rapture. But folks, they lied and they don't know what they're talking about. They have not been a partaker in bearing this fruit because they didn't read the word of God. They just accepted what their dead religion told them and pass it on to you. And the Bible calls it leaven. And I'll end with this. Matthew 16 and 6. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, I'm out of time. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word.
word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word.